Well, good morning, church family. While you're grabbing your Bibles and turning to Psalm 33, let's talk about Advent for just a moment, what it is, and for some of you, if you were like me, Advent was not a part of your growing up heritage. It might have been mentioned. Uh, you might have known that it was something that this church down the road did something different than uh, your church did, and it was called Advent. Advent is that preparation season for the coming of Christ. Around 5-600 A.D. in Rome, they started celebrating this thing and cobbling together what we now know as Advent. It's taken so many different forms, and it's a little complicated from a liturgical and a theological perspective that um, I believe there are three modes of calendar that can be run during Advent. You can swap some of the days, or we've swapped some days around here. But essentially, you focus on the hope that comes when Christ comes, the peace or the anticipation for His coming, the joy that's found in the waiting for His coming, and the love and the expression of His arrival. Pretty much all of them follow those four elements. They might do them in different orders, but it, it starts the week after Thanksgiving for us and culminates on Christmas morning. Some draw a hard line between Advent and Christmas. We were having some fun with that this morning in discussion. That you don't say Merry Christmas or celebrate Christmas or do anything Christmassy until Christmas Day, and then, maybe it wasn't your heritage, but do you know the song, The Twelve Days of Christmas? right? That's when you would start. You would start on Christmas Day and celebrate for 12 days. Now, some of you are looking like, yeah, this was my life. What are you doing? It wasn't all of our lives, so we're catching up to some of you cool folks in the room. We don't draw a hard line here, but we see Advent as a great opportunity for us to quiet down and reflect and be thankful for the coming of our Lord the first time He came and reflective and responsive to the fact that He's coming again. So that's why we do Advent. We'll turn the little trees on in December, and then on our Christmas Eve service, there'll be some other elements we'll add to the room, and it'll be a special, special time. This year, what I've chosen to do under the heading of the Heart of Christmas, that's a heading that some other churches are doing all across the nation, but that's about the end of where I uh, locked in. I looked at the content, didn't like it, so I went with my own thing. Um, we're going to look at some psalms to prepare our heart for Advent, a collection of psalms that really point to those um, thematic approaches to what the Lord is doing. Psalm 33 is where we start this morning under the heading of hope. Week one is about hope. Now, if I ask the room what you're hoping for, I asked some folks even last uh, night at our home, I said, what are some things you're hoping for for Christmas? We just had a handful together. And the, the answers varied, right? The, the teenager said, I really hope that we can get together as a big family and spend time together. You may say, well, that's, wow, what a great, mature response from a teenager. Well, we missed our Thanksgiving gathering as a family because of sickness. And so the, we had great plans. We were going to have this big gathering at our house, and that didn't work because we opened the window and influenza. <laughs> no, sorry. <Okay. laughs> and uh, then it still works here, right? I, got, I had one more use of that joke, my wife said. One more. 
Um, so that didn't work at our house. Then we moved it to somebody else's house, and then other families that we didn't get around started getting sick, and it was just, you know, just spreading like Christmas cheer. Um, everybody was getting sick, so we didn't get to gather like we typically do on Thanksgiving. So one hope from one of my kids was that we'll be able to gather as a, as a family together. If I went around the room and asked some of the little ones in the room, what are you hoping for for Christmas? The answers vary, right? Some of them are very innocent parents. We like those innocent ones because they tend to be cheap, yeah? Like less expensive. And some of them are not that. They're the opposite. Um, like my littlest said the other week, he said, can't we, just, can't we just take everybody to Carowinds all the time? Let's just go to Carowinds all the time. It's birthday time. I said, but I don't think we could afford to park there anymore. But uh, hope for Christmas. One kid said, uh, hope is wishing for something you know you ain't going to get. That's not what we're talking about. When you see the word hope for Advent, we're not talking about hoping for something earthly that we kind of put all our eggs in that basket and get a payoff. We're talking about a hope that is anchored in something much more substantive than anything this world can give us. You've got your Bibles open to Psalm 33. Let's look at the first three verses together, then I'll give you the header as we work through this. This Advent season, we're going to slow down, take our time through some passage, probably shorter sermons, simpler times at church, simpler calendar. That's by design to kind of hush out the noise of everything else. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. If you've got a pen or a highlighter and you wanted to underlight something, boy, that second part of that verse is fantastic. Praise befits the upright. Verse 2, give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Wow. Now, some of you read that passage and you say, this is just for musicians, so this is not for me. Well, hold on a minute. It is for all of us in the room. I'll get there in a minute. Here's your first header this morning. It's a bit of an awkward sentence, but it'll make sense in a moment. Our praise fits better. Or you could just write praise fits better. That word befits, it means it's a better fit. That's, That's what the word means. Praise befits us better. Let me get to the punchline for you really quickly. Praise fits you better than criticism. Praise fits you better than cynicism because you're a child of God. You're a child of hope. Praise fits you better than anything the world could put on you. Insatiable desire for stuff. Praise fits you better than fame. Praise fits you better than prestige. Praise fits you better than prosperity. Why? Because whether we have much or little, as a people of God, we're a people of hope. And as a people of hope, we're people of praise. Let, let's look at a few things. If, it depends on how you count here. It depends on which kind of theological hat you put on, how you count. But there are five, some say six, direct commands for praise here. Look, look at the text. Look in your, in your Bible there. It says, shout for joy. There's one. When's the last time you shouted for joy? Please don't do it right now. When's the last time you shouted for joy, right? Some of you, even when I say that, you're ready to button both buttons on your jacket and straighten your collar and say, well, that's that's a little charismatic of you, Pastor, to say that. (laughs) It's actually not because charisma, that's in the New Testament. I'm I'm reading like Old Testament stuff here. Shout for joy. (laughs) It's it's Bible. Um, 
Shout for joy. I, I know some of us can, can get worked up at a, at a ball game. I'm not asking for ball game behavior at church. Please don't, don't, don't read into that. I'm just saying, it's not like we don't express our uh, excitement at times. When's the last time, though, that you shouted for joy? I mean, even a conservative, reserved, very formal and reverent saint of the church once in a while can give a whoop, I mean, something, right? I mean, has God been good enough to get a whoop out of you? Maybe, maybe a whoop, whoop, I don't know what your heritage is. But, but, but there's a command here, there's a mark here on the people of God. And, and let's, take, let's come up for air for just a moment from this psalm. This is before Christ. This is before the advent of Christ. Christ has not yet arrived on the scene as a babe in a manger. This is hundreds and hundreds of years before that. It's a psalm of praise. Shout for joy. The second command, give. Or, or rather, some say that praise, I think it's a noun there, but anyway, that praise is uh, the, the other command. So we've got shouting, we've got praising. Look at verse 2. We've got giving thanks. And some of you look at me and say, yes, but that says with a liar. I live with a liar, but I, no, 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 that's not what it means. Give thanks with a liar. That's with an instrument, pastor. Okay, make melody to him on the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. What are the verbs? Give thanks. Make melody. Sing. Play skillfully. And it ends with loud shouts again. Six commands. It's really covering all the bases here. What, what, what's happening? What's the psalmist saying? He's saying take every gift that you have whether musically or vocally. He doesn't say sing skillfully. He just says shout for joy. Sing to him a new song, play skillfully, right? You can make a joyful noise to the Lord. Why? Not because things are going great, because they weren't. Isaiah's passage this morning is in a, is in a time of such great darkness in the kingdom of Israel. And yet he's talking about light coming and praise breaking forth. The psalmist here, a lot of these were written right before, after, and sometimes during great battles. We can't nail down exactly when Psalm 33 came to us. Some believe it was after a victorious battle. Doesn't matter. It works. It works pre, during, and post. But here's why it works. Not because of the battle and not because of the circumstance. It works because God is faithful and we're a people of praise because we're a people of hope praise fits you better child of God praise fits you better grace covenant than getting caught up in the nastiness of our culture and this world praise looks better on you than the best the world would entice you with and praise looks better on us this season I mean if anybody ought to have hope Regardless of how things are going, it ought to be the people of God. Are things getting darker? Yeah. Does the light shine brighter in the darkness? Yeah. How can we let our light shine? A people of praise. It fits you better. Second thing we notice as we just work through the psalm, we are a people of hope because of God's powerful word and his faithful work. If you're working through the psalm, I think you would come up with headers similar to this if you're reading this on your own. If you just spent time in God's word, and that's what we're doing this Advent season. We're just going to open the Bible in these psalms and see how the Lord speaks to us about hope, about peace, about joy, about love, and connect it to that Christmas theme or Advent theme, if you draw that hard line I talked about earlier. 
Let's look at the text, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Let me just stop there before I read the next couple of verses. We see the declaration of God's power and of his faithfulness here. It says the word of the Lord, verse 4, the word of the Lord is upright. Can I tell you something? When the word of men and women fail on a regular basis, when the promises of those that we put into power are nothing but tickets to an office that they ignore as soon as they get there, when the words of those that we put our trust into institutionally fail, when the words of people that we love, whether intentionally with malice or forethought, or just because they just couldn't execute. When people fail us, we need to remember, our hope is not tethered to people, it's tethered to the one whose word never fails. When I see Christians who are down in the mouth, that's an expression, oh, does that still resonate? Does that work, down in the mouth? You know, right? When I see Christians who are always doom and gloom all the time, I'm wondering, what are you watching? What are you looking at? Are you spending time in the Word of God? Are you pulling your eyes up to behold the beauty of all God has done already? Are you seeing as fellow image bearers God's design around you? God is a good God, and His Word never fails. His Word is powerful. It formed the world. His work is faithful. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. We see that has said love, that chasing after us kind of love, when we open our eyes, get them off the screen, get them off of the cares of this world, and start focusing on Jesus. The data's out. It's no secret, right? And it's not just our teenagers that are struggling, God. Love them. They're struggling emotionally, statistically, like never before. And there is no secret. It is a direct correlation. Any therapist worth their weight in salt that's read two articles will tell you get off the screen and get in front of people that you can love and serve. Church family, it's the same for us. Is your hope tank empty? What are you trying to fill it with? The word of God is upright. God's word is powerful and his work is faithful. Now there's the declaration of it. Verses six through nine we're gonna read together show us the example of it. It's in creation. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the, uh, he puts the deeps in storehouses. Verse eight, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. We are a people of hope because our God, His word is powerful, and His work is faithful. He made all this. We didn't. It is He who made us, not we ourselves. We are the sheep of His pastor. He created the world for His glory and His pleasure, and He made you with a purpose to glorify Him. We can be a people of hope clothed in garments of praise because our God speaks a powerful word. And our God works a faithful work. He will never, ever fail you. 
He has not forgotten you. Though the circumstances may have you blinded to the truth, our God is a faithful God. Amen, church? So we're a people of hope. We're a people of praise because of who God is. We're a people of hope next in the next few verses we see because his plans are right and his rule is eternal. His plans are right and his rule is eternal. The psalmist continues in verse 10. He says, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Now let me stop there before I hit that next verse. I want you to understand something about our God and his powerful word and his faithful work. His plans are right. God's design for humanity is right. The creative order is correct. And it doesn't need to be defended. It just needs to be explained in this day and age because we have people that have lost touch with the truth and the revelation of the truth. But God's creative order is absolutely correct. His plan is right. I'm hammering this for a reason because here's what we see. When we see things going a certain way, and we see the darkness growing, and we see this political system doing this, and, and this leader doing that, and we see religious leaders failing us, and we see uh, folks who are completely disillusioned, and we see all these things running rampant, and we see the war in, in the Ukraine. If we're not careful, we, we can get this picture of, of, of God as if he's some old man seated in a recliner somewhere and, and trying to do this thing, like he's trying hard he's trying the best he can to keep everything going the right direction so that we're okay and and encouraged he's he's trying the best he can but man evil is is powerful and and wretched God, God is trying the best he can to no 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 that's not the God of the Bible that's not the God that you and I serve God is seated on the throne of his own majesty the earth is his footstool there's no political ideology that has ever threatened the throne of God he is large and in charge all the time. He is jealous for his glory. And he will not tolerate sin in his presence. One day every knee will bow before our God and King. And we don't have to apologize for that. We don't have to go, huh, well, well, you know, I just kind of believe this. I heard a heresy this week. Sorry, I don't know how else to say it. Where a prominent pastor with significant influence said that the rules that God laid out are only for the people of God and not for humanity. That God's law was not for those who were outside of the family. And he wasn't talking about the, the Mosaic law or, or, or laws that had to do in context with just ceremonial things in the temple. No, no, no. He's talking about all of it. The moral law of God that stood the test of time. And, and apologize, this man, apologize to the viewing audience on behalf of the church. I didn't give him permission to do that. He didn't take a vote on that. And apologize, just short of apologizing, on behalf of God being God and demanding righteousness from his creation. Church family, <laughs> God's plans are absolutely right. 
And we are blessed when we follow God's ways. Listen, if all the world turns against us, if all of Charlotte goes the way of the world, if there's only a handful, literally, five or less churches that preach the truth and preach that this Bible is the infallible, inerrant, inspired Word of God without any mixture of error, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that He came, lived a sinless, spotless life, died on the cross for the sins of humanity, was buried in a borrowed tomb, rose to life on the third day, and commands us to come die with Him and follow Him. And repent of our sins and put our faith and trust in him and walk with Jesus in the newness of life. If nobody else preaches it, I'm going to, I'm going to preach it. We're going to hold the line. We're not doing this because of what culture is doing. We're not taking our cues from the world because they've lost their We're taking our cue from the God whose word never fails, from the God whose plans are always right. And by the way, his rule is eternal. He'll never make a law that will be overturned in the courts of eternity. (laughs) Christ came to fulfill the law. He was the word robed in flesh. What a God. The psalmist goes on and continues with an oft-misquoted verse in 33.12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Church family, give me a little bit of mercy here. What have I taught you about context, 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 context? This is not about America. This is not the American verse. This is not the tagline of the good old U.S. of A. But uh, that preacher, I don't care what that preacher said. He's not your pastor. I am. This is not... (laughs) This is not about America. This is about the people of Israel. They were the blessed nation of God. Why were they blessed? Because they were perfect? No. Why were they blessed? Because everything went well? No. Isaiah dealt with four corrupt kings to get to this text. Why were they blessed? Because they, they had it all figured out? No. They were blessed because from them would come Christ to touch the nations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. They were the only nation whose God was the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. Now, praise God, we are blessed when we follow God's ways. And I believe a nation will be blessed if it goes with God's righteous rule and his forever reign. Absolutely, I believe that. But this is not a promise, it's a declaration of the reality of who God's people were at the time. But they were blessed because from them would come the Savior of the whole world. Wow. His plans are right and his rule is eternal. Let me hasten on for time's sake. The counsel of the Lord, uh, that's verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven, not uh, elected office, but from above it all. And what does he see when he looks down? He sees people. He sees us. He's not threatened by systems. He's not threatened by people. He sees us, the children of man, from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. Wow. God sees you. He knows you. He knows every thought you've ever had. ruh <laughs> He knows every deed you've ever done, even the stuff you haven't been caught for. Good and bad. He knows the words that you've said and the ones you didn't have the courage to say in the moment. Now here's the shocker. The shocker is not that. Here's the shocker. He still 
loves you with an everlasting love and designed you to live in fellowship with him. Wow, what a God. You and I can find out something about somebody and it becomes a footnote and an asterisk in our mind that jades our relationship with them from now on. We can hold a grudge like a boss. I mean, some, not anybody at Grace, but I've heard of other people that can do that. People can hold a grudge against people and, and can hang on to this one strike against people and, and, and can make it really difficult. But listen, God knows it all and he's still inviting you to come be made new, to come join him on the mission that he has for the whole earth. Wow, what a God, what a God. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. The king, you, you, listen, you can stand against nations and, 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 and God's people time after time, Israel time after time again, was up against nations who outgunned them, who outmanned them, who outmatched them in strength. But it wasn't in their strength that rescued them. It was God who decided these things. It was David, the lesser, approaching Goliath, the greater. But God had decided the victory. It required obedience and submission in the moment. Sure, it does. There was determined and volitional will at play in both. I'm okay with that. But God's in charge. God is in charge. He, he has this thing figured out. He's above all the kings, the strongest of kings. I don't know what king that you are threatened by or what great army has you shaking in your boots, but your king is greater. Our God is greater. There's not any legislation passed that will silence the church of the living God. She's been persecuted since she was born, and she's thriving. Our God is greater. There's, I don't know what warrior... Uh, it seems to be coming after you personally that you are threatened by. But, but, but don't be threatened by his strength. Your God is stronger. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. Now, this hits a little close to home. Because we can be putting our faith and our trust in things that are false hopes that promise salvation. Conservatism by itself is a false hope. Because it, it feels a lot like Christianity, but, but stripped from Christianity, it, it is a false hope and a false salvation. We are called as kingdom citizens of another world to inhabit this day and age. There are other political systems, other ideologies that feel good on the surface, but they promise a false hope of salvation. Only our God saves and only biblical Christianity offers that robust worldview that equips us to be salt and light, compassionate with convictions that match our God and King. His plans are right and his rule is eternal. His word is powerful. His work is faithful. And because of who he is, we can have a hope that is purified. Our hope is pure because of who he is. Final, final three verses. Jeremy read it as we gathered this morning in the worship time together. Look at verses 20 through 22. Our soul waits for the Lord. 
He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. It's one of those things that the psalmists do so well, where they they sing together, and then they look up and talk to God. They talk to one another, and then talk to God. And what are they saying? Our soul waits for the Lord. Our soul waits for the Lord. Our hope is purified in the waiting. Our hope is purifying our worship. This is the kind of hope that makes us a people who shout for joy, who sing the songs of gladness, who play skillfully. Any gift that we've been given, we want to steward that for the goodness of our God and King. It doesn't mean everybody gets a microphone. It doesn't mean everybody hops up and and hijacks. It doesn't mean somebody says, I've got a word from the Lord, and you grab uh, one of our Alpha and Omega guitars up here and just kind of go to town while I'm preaching. Please don't do that. No, don't get any ideas. That's not what we're talking about. But it does mean that everything that God has given you, you make sure that you incorporate it into your, watch this, garments of praise. That's who we are. We're a people of hope, that, therefore we're a people of praise. Our soul waits for the Lord. He alone is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in Him. Your heart will never be glad like it was meant to be glad in anything but a living relationship with the living God of His Bible. And everything that you need for that to happen, He's already provided through the finished work of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow, what a God. Our hearts are glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Now, anytime those psalmists drop the name bomb in the psalm, it's a big deal. Because they're not just saying like, his name. Yeah, you know, Yeshua or uh, Yahweh. They're not just saying like the name of God. They're talking about the Lord strong in battle. The Lord mighty to save. The Lord is his name. The Lord who, it's this long, you see it in Deuteronomy, you see it in a lot of the Old Testament text in the Pentateuch. You see it just kind of breaking out there in this long descriptive name of God. It's the way they referred to him. He's saying we are blessed We trust in all that he is. The whole character of God necessitates our trust in him. Wow. Our heart is glad in him. We trust in him. Let your hesed, your steadfast love, that mercy, that love that chases after us, let it be upon us even as we hope in him. Let me tie it to our uh, Advent narrative quickly. And then we'll have a moment of reflection for you to pray. Our hope is pure because of who God is, not because of what's happening around us. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment and give you a caution, something that I've struggled with in my Christian life quite a few times. First of all, let me say this about our hope, a New Testament glimpse at it. The Bible says in Romans 5.5 that the hope that God gives doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us. We've got a different level of hope than this psalmist could have even imagined. I mean, think about this. You got this picture here? Like this is a worshiper that's being described. And it's the reason for worship in Psalm 33. But, but in the New Testament, can you just imagine like how their mind would be blown if they encountered us on, in 2022 in the Advent season with the freedom to gather and worship the Lord? And the psalmist is like, oh man, I can't wait to see how you guys worship. 
This side of the empty tomb, this side of the infilling of the Holy Spirit living in each one of us, quickening our hearts as we see Jesus in the text of the scripture and we resonate with one another and we have brothers and sisters all over the globe advancing the cause of Christ. And some of us, we might as well come in, you know, kind of like struggling to get in. They didn't sing my favorite Christmas song. Preacher said that sermon would be shorter. It was only shorter by 90 seconds. I counted every one of them. Well, we should have had cookies today. I, like, I only like it when we have cookies. I don't know. That's not you, but... After a week of thanksgiving and focusing on the gratitude that we have for this God and King, we ought to stroll up into church a little differently, maybe. Worshipful, ready to go when it's time to go. This hope doesn't put us to shame. You can shout and not be shameful about it. You can whoop or a whoop whoop. It's okay. It's allowed. The Bible says in Hebrews that faith and hope go together. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The King James would say diligently seek him. Wow. Well, let's make the connection to what the Snyders read this morning. Four wicked kings had made terrible decisions and set up an incredible reign of darkness. They were really bad kings. Isaiah and Jotham and Ahaz and, and, and Hezekiah, they just made some really bad decisions. And, and just it was like compounded. Not that we can relate to like sequence of leaders making bad decisions. Uh, or feel like the darkness is growing. Right? It's crazy how relevant... This text is for today and written around 740 B.C. They were corrupt. They led the people far from God. The people didn't have a taste for God. They didn't even have a knowledge of basic doctrine of God. 740 B.C. Like, right? God's word is so amazing. It was a dark time in history. And yet in this dark time, Isaiah acknowledges the darkness. He acknowledges the brokenness, which were a result of sin and corruption. And yet Isaiah also acknowledges the hope of a dawning light that would only come through the birth of a child who would one day make all things right. Grace, covenant, family, and friends. This kind of hope, this thing that God has done in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to the world, to be the savior of the whole world, ought to fill us with a hope that never fades. As gas prices have gone where they are, I know they keep fluctuating a little bit. I love when the news says they're better than they were. I'm going, <laughs> then what? Yeah, then $4. I mean, yes, $3.85 is better than $4 but we're all still crying at the pump. None of us are getting receipts. We want no evidence of this transaction, right? We're like, going, no, I don't, want to, I, don't, I don't want to forget I was here. But, but I'm thinking about those who drive vehicles who require that premium stuff, right? I mean, just like, not, not a criticism. I'm just, I'm seriously thinking about them. Like, there are some engines that are built. My kids are like, why would anybody ever buy the expensive gas, right? Like, I, I thought the same thing when I was 16. I went to fill up like, uh I'll take the cheap one. What is this? How, does anybody buy this? That sounds like a buck and a quarter. So the premium gas, there's some engines that if you put the wrong, a lesser octane in them, of course, you know this. I can't give you an education in this. But they won't function. 
properly. They, they, they're just designed to function at a certain way, and they need certain fuels of a certain octane in there to operate at that efficiency. They were designed to be right here, and anything less that you put in it affects performance. You're already there. What are you putting in your hope tank? If what you're putting in your hope tank is given to you by the world, no, no wonder you, you're struggling to maintain a, a posture of hope and, a, and the garments of praise. Let me say this to you, brother, sister in Christ. What are you putting in your hope tank? Are you basing all of your hopefulness in Christ on the fact that he answers this one prayer request this certain way that you have? Like all your eggs are in that basket? Like all my hope. If God doesn't come through here, then I don't know what I think about God. Be careful with that. That's not, his character is not affected by your request. He's worthy of our trust and affection regardless of how any circumstance pans out in your life. This psalmist was writing of this before Bethlehem was in the nativity picture. A people of praise because they had a hope that was anchored in the character of God. Just like Israel longs for Jesus, longed for Jesus to appear the first time, we long for a second return and it affects the way we live. Titus refers to it as a, a blessed hope. First Peter calls it a, a living hope. We are a people of hope this morning. Why? Because his word is powerful. But because his works are faithful. Because his plans are right. And because his rule is eternal. And because of who God is. Not because of what's going on in our lives. But because of who God is. We put on garments of praise. In a dark and tasteless world, we are salt and light in this season. Why? Because it fits us better than anything else in our closets. Julia's coming to play for us. As we take a moment to pray, I want to ask you something. What are you putting in your hope tank? Are you basing your relationship with God on this one prayer that you need answered a certain way or this one situation that's got to work out this way or is all your hope tethered to this relationship being reconciled or, or you've got you to raise your eyes a bit. You've got to look under the hills from whence cometh your help. Your help and hope comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Father, I pray this morning for each and every person gathered in this room and listening online. Lord, for those that would be um, struggling, God, in this season. This season is a reminder of a lot of things that maybe didn't go well in their lives. It, it might bring up uh, and trigger some grief. That's not necessarily unhealthy. There are healthy ways to work through grief. And praise God for the people in this sanctuary this morning that are equipped with tools to help many work through grief in healthy ways. But Lord, it's so loud in this world we live in. Millions of voices competing for the attentions of all of us from our youth in the room to the aged in the room, Lord. We are in desperate need of your truth to pierce through the darkness in our own worlds so that we might clothe ourselves as a people of hope in unceasing praise because you're worthy. Lord, as we take a moment now and just pour our hearts out to you, forgive us of our sins, Lord, cleanse us, 
wash us. Let's pray. We're reminded this morning that hope has a name, and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we trust in you alone. You're awesome, powerful, faithful, loving. You are in charge, eternal, and seated on the throne. What a God. Thank you for the privilege of approaching you this day. Help us to live as a people of hope. In Jesus' name, amen.